Welcome to Blue Talks. I'm Corey Poirier, the founder of Blue Talks. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you enjoy this amazing presentation from Kendra Kincaid. I am an air traffic controller, and what I want to know right now, I want you to raise your hand, and keep it up, please. I'm going to do a little experiment for myself. Raise your hand and keep it up if you know what an air traffic controller is. Okay, there's a few. Now, keep it up for a sec. If you think that that is the person, and yes, I swear to God people think this, and it's okay if you do. <laughs> if you think I'm with the red wands out on the runway, and that's the air traffic controller, put your hand down. Okay, if you think I'm in a tower at the airport and you don't know what else I might be because I'm not, put your hand down. Okay, so there's some people in here who actually know what an air traffic controller is, or you're so wrong I can't guess it. One or the other, we're going to find out. So, what's that? Oh, very, oh, we'll have to talk. Oh, okay, right on in the military then, nice. Okay, well, I'm an air traffic controller. I work in the building here at the Edmonton International Airport, and I control, or I don't control, in our building, we control 5.5 million square miles of airspace out of this building here at the Edmonton International Airport. Um, I, like I said, I don't work with the red wands. Some people really think we do. And I don't work in the tower, although there are air traffic controllers who do work in the tower. I'm just not one of them. They're called VFR air traffic controllers. I would be an IFR air traffic controller. So I work in front of a screen that looks like this. So for you who don't know, I just want to set it up here a little bit. These little lines, you guys can all see them there. Those are runways. They're the runways at the Edmonton International Airport. The circle around here is the 35 miles centered on those runways, and that is Edmonton Terminal. 5.5 million square miles of airspace has to be broken up into chunks. So we have seven specialties in that building, and this is one of the specialties. This is the best specialty. Well, we all say we, all say we have the best specialty, but I'm going to say we have the best specialty. I love our specialty. So anyway, these things here uh, are aircraft, if you're wondering. And to give you a point of reference of something to watch if you want, uh, this is, can anyone guess what that is? Can you guys read that? Anyone know what this name is? J-Z-A, Jazz, correct, Jazz 138, he's going to come in here and do an approach, and I have to space him, this is an hour that I worked, I have to space him amongst these other aircraft, so watch whatever you want in this screen, but as a point of reference, if you'd like, watch this Jazz, and you'll see how we fit him in here, so what we do as air traffic controllers is we talk to little teeny tiny pilots who are all sitting in these little dots. No, that's not true. But we do talk to the pilots who are flying these aircraft. And it is our job to, well, do you remember when you were little, maybe you played connect the dots? This is don't connect the dots. <laughs> very, very bad. Maybe you can think of this like a video game, but in this video game, the stakes are human lives. So it's a little bit more serious than a video game. But it is a 
a lot of fun. Now, um, a lot of people say that air traffic control is the most stressful job in the world. Maybe you've heard that before, most stressful job in the world. If you ask air traffic controllers, they'll probably say, mm, maybe it's not the most stressful job in the world. However, training as an air traffic controller, we would say yes is one of the most stressful jobs in the world. It's one of the most stressful things, one of the most stressful things that I've ever been through. However, training as an air traffic controller actually helped change my life. And I often say that aviation saved my life. And it was training as an air traffic controller where I first started to realize what I needed to know to change my life. Now, when I was 13, um, if someone would have told me that I was going to be an air traffic controller, well, first of all, I would have said, what's an air traffic controller? Because I didn't know. Um, but I would have said, no way. See, when I was 13, I had run, run away from home, and I lived on the streets. So sometimes I lived outside an old abandoned hospital, and I remember curling up to this cement wall, and I knew that the, the old abandoned morgue was on the other side of the cement wall. Kind of creepy. Don't know why I did that. Um, I remember sleeping inside a treehouse. I don't know whose treehouse it was. Nonetheless, I slept inside a treehouse. Uh, so I spent a lot of time on the streets before I eventually ended up in a foster home. That is an entirely different talk. But I ended up in the foster care home, and like a lot of people do when they leave the foster care system, I left through, can anyone guess? Well, abusive relationships, right? Because I grew up, for a lot of people, but for me in this situation, I had zero self-esteem, zero self-confidence in myself. And so when I was getting into relationships, you know, you attract your like, what you are. Well, when you're down here, that's, that's what you attract. And so I ended up in some, some bad relationships. The last bad relationship I had was a man that I married and... Um, it was devastating. It was devastating um, what I found out he was doing inside my own family. Sorry, what he was doing inside my own family. Anyway, I ended up having to leave the neighborhood um, to protect my kids and start life all over again. Uh, I, I got to the point, um, depression, of course, set in. And I uh, I heard earlier about, you know, drinking and I just, just going down a path where I got to the point where I wanted to kill myself. But I knew I didn't really. I mean, as you've heard from my bio, I have four children. I now have three grandchildren. Um, but at that time, I had the four children and I knew I couldn't leave them. I knew I still had to be around for them. So I sat down on my computer and I started Googling, what do you do if you want to kill yourself? And I was on an acreage, and it was dial-up. So it was like, rrr, rrr, rrr. so glad I wasn't in a hurry because it takes a little while. But back then, it took a little while. But anyway, so I Googled, what do you, want to, what do, you do if you're going to kill yourself? And volunteering came up. And I was like, okay. And um, the only thing I really recognized was Make-A-Wish because I had heard of it before from a, a friend's child who went through Make-A-Wish. And I thought, okay, well, um, I'll volunteer for Make-A-Wish. That turned out to be a wonderful experience, and I moved on from there and ended up climbing Mount Kilimanjaro to raise money for a lo uh, the Lowest Hole Hospital. It's a hospital here in Edmonton. And I raised money for that, ho that um, hospital through that climb. And it was while I was elevating myself up that mountain that, uh, that everything was sort of coming together 
and I elevated myself up. And that led to the journey of starting Elevate Aviation. Now, parallel to what was happening to me on this personal side was what was happening on my work side. And I had learned about air traffic control. So back again now, I'm learning about air traffic control. And I met this man. He said, hey, do you want to come on a tour inside the building? This is back in Moncton, New Brunswick. And I'm like, he goes, you want to come see my work? I'm like, mm, sure, sure. I don't know what I want to do with my life. Sure. Um, so I walked inside his building. And there were two big doors. And I remember walking inside those doors. And I walked in. And I was just like, oh, this is what I want to do with my life. Like, I didn't even know what they were doing. <laughs> there was like this big room. And there was radar screens all around the room. And there was all these people with headsets on. Um, probably mainly men back then. Uh, men with headsets on. And I could hear like low chatter. I couldn't understand what they were saying. But I it's like, where does that come from? Where does that come from when something hits you and, and you just know that that's what you want to do with your life? And so, so I walked in and one of them was nice enough to let me sit down and plug in with them. So by plugging in, I put my headset on, I plugged in so I could hear what they were doing in front of a screen like this. And he said, do you want to talk? And I'm like, sure. And so he wrote something scribblish down on paper and he said, say this. I'm like, Okay, so I read it off, and there was nothing. He said, good job. He said, now, click on the foot pedal this time, so when you say it, it actually goes out. <laughs> so I did. I clicked on the foot pedal, and I said it again, and this time, the voice on the other side came back and repeated it back, the pilot, and I was just like, yeah, this is it. This is love at first sight. The way we talk to these airplanes, uh, I'll give you a couple of examples just because just it's fun. Um, Air Canada, one, two, three, turn left, arc, Raleigh, climb foot level two, one, zero. And Wesh at 73, curve for the RMP approach runway one, two. And uh, Al Fox, our Charlie, turn left, heading three, three, zero, to intercept, clear for the approach runway three, zero, not below 160 knots, so four miles final, contact tower one, one, eight, decimal three. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, anyway, everything in life is that whole learn one thing at a time, but that's how we talk to these aircraft. So I got to hear the pilot repeat that back to me, and it was love at first sight. Um, and so that started my journey on air traffic control. It took a long time for me to become an air traffic controller. Uh, there was a hiring freeze for a little bit. It was Transfer Canada, and now it's NAV Canada, and I kind of got in that area where they were just transferring over. Um, so there was a bit of a hiring freeze, and but one day I got the call, and it said, your course starts next week. Now I'm living in Edmonton and this is in Ontario. The next day I packed up my four kids, I drove to Cornwall, Ontario, and I started my air traffic control training. People thought I was insane. People criticized me. How dare you take your kids out of school and move them? How dare you do this? Who do you think you are? You can't do this. People down there thought I was crazy. Years later I heard they still talked about the crazy lady who took her four kids down to Cornwall, Ontario. But I knew that I, I just knew that I needed to have security in my life and I didn't want to rely on anyone else unless I chose to rely on them. And so this was my path of my own economic security that I wanted to do. So I ended up in Cornwall. I graduated from Cornwall. Um, the number one thing, though, the stressful training, having my kids there, all of it, the number one thing, that the most stressful thing, was what I was doing to myself the entire time. I was telling myself, 
you're not good enough to be here. We go and we do a run. A run is when we'll do this for an hour and we'll practice. We'll go do a run. And trust me, um, you know, you're not going to get this right the first time. There, and, and air traffic control training, especially at that time, was really geared towards what you did wrong that hour, what you did wrong, what you did wrong. And when you have some, someone telling someone like me what you did wrong, what you did wrong, what you did wrong, and in my own head, I'm telling myself what I did wrong, what I did wrong, what I did wrong, it's not a great com combination. Like how I graduated from that, it was just meant to be. I really believe it was just meant to be. So I move on to further training back in Edmonton, and I'm training. And then they wanted to fire me. And this was a long time. I was in a car accident. I was off work for two and a half years. I had gone back. I'm in Edmondson Terminal, terminal now, and I'm training. The success rate when I went through, 7% was the success rate. And I was about to become one of the larger part of that percentage that didn't make it as an air traffic controller. And they had the paperwork done, and there was a man, his name's John Bright. I love John Bright to this day. There was a man that was working there, and he said, let me work with her. Because he said, I know she can do the job. I just know there's something else going on there. He recognized that in me. So we would start working together. We'd work an hour on. So side note, air traffic control schedule, you work an hour on to take a break, go to the gym. Work an hour on, take a break. Have a nap, work an hour on. So it's a, it's a good schedule. I highly recommend this career. Um, so we would work an hour on, have an hour off, and he'd say, name three things that you did right. Anyone guess what I would do? Always. Start with what I did wrong. He'd say, no, name three things that you did right. It was so hard for me to try to think of one thing I did right in that hour. I just, I just, that's not how I was wired. I still didn't get it. And then came an hour where I can actually pick this hour that changed the rest of my life, where it started. I'm working this hour. I have to prove myself at this point. Like, they want to fire me. I'm on supplemental, basically. I have to turn the switch and make this work for me, for my life, for my kids, for everything. Like, everything is riding on this job for me. So we're working this hour. And back then, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say it was probably one of the busiest times in air traffic control history. The oil patch in Alberta was booming. And city center airport was still open, if anyone remembers that. Aircraft are flying all over the sky. And I'm sitting there. And in... This is what it looks like on the radar screen. But if you pan out this little button, if you pan out, you can see that 5.5 million square miles of airspace. So you can see the airplanes coming when they're, when they're coming from far away. And, oh, boy, if you worked at 6 o'clock, you were gone on your shift. You worked a 7 o'clock shift, that last hour of the day back here in the oil patch days, those airplanes, it was like you're tired. You, you know, you, no one wanted the 7 o'clock shifts. Guess who's on a 7 o'clock shift? I'm on the 7 o'clock shift. So my instructor, John Bright, he's plugged in behind me because as a trainee, the air traffic controller that's working with you has to plug in because this can go wrong really quickly. And there has to be someone that can take over, like in a second's notice, to take over and stop the airplanes from hitting if you happen to turn them the wrong way. You don't want to get your rights and lefts mixed up here. So there's someone plugged in beside me. So we're working, and the airplanes are coming. I see them coming. We have a list in our screen, 
And as the airplanes get closer, they, it activates our list, and that list is growing, it's growing bigger. My heart is pounding. My palms are sweating. I'm stressed out. All I'm doing is fighting that voice inside my head going, oh, what am I going to do? I, I don't deserve to be here. Uh, you know, I'm a mom for kids. I don't, like, I don't know why I thought I didn't deserve to be there because of that. Um, but I just thought, you know, I don't deserve to be with these people. I'm not doing it right. I'm not good enough. All those thoughts, all those thoughts that we have in our head. And the airplanes are coming more and more and more. And then I start clicking on them. Because then when they come in here to your sector, they flash and you click on them. And so they're coming in, and it was way busier than what you guys saw here earlier. And by the way, that was fast forward. Don't think the airplanes move that fast in the sky. I should have said that earlier and explained it. But it was way busier than this, and the airplanes are coming in, and it's time to move. But part of the pressure on top of this is that you have an instructor right behind you looking at every little tiny thing that you do and just waiting for you to do something wrong so they can tell you that you did something wrong. Um, and so you're just that adds to the pressure of how you how you make these airplanes fit because you're you don't want to say anything wrong because they're gonna they're gonna judge you for it and i'm in this moment and the airplanes i'm some of them are in my airspace they're coming and it's time for me to get moving and then in the midst of hearing nothing but panic in my head i hear john bright my instructor behind me he, his voice just sort of breaks through and all i hear is kendra make a decision <laughs> so i'm like ah oh. in that moment i was so mad at him for being mad at me and yelling at me when i'm already stressed out but then i realized oh sh you know, now i'm mad at me because i put him in the position where he had to yell at me because i wasn't making a decision i and he just needed to give me the kick in the ass that i needed to do so my anger i was i was so angry and my anger my determination became louder than that voice inside my head and I started controlling the crap out of those airplanes like I had never done it before. And I whipped that hour. And I continued to go on and do that. And as you may, you know, as you know now, I became successful and I became an air traffic controller. But what I realized in that hour was that the voice that I was telling myself that I wasn't good enough, it was lying to me. I, I never even recognized I had a voice inside my head that was doing that. I just thought it was me. But I realized it's actually lying to me. And I needed to be able to recognize it. And, and so anyway, I started to learn to recognize it. And that, again, led into this journey where I thought later on in life, after I got through the divorce and everything else, I realized, man, if I can change my life like this, I must be able to help other women and help them other women who were like me and so elevate aviation was born it was really born out of the, the most profound headwinds of my life because i really wanted to help other women succeed and just have their own economic security so that if they were in abusive situations they had the means to financially leave i know there's a lot of other stuff packed into that but at least they'd have the financial means and so the only way i had to help someone at this this time the only tool i had that i knew how to use was aviation and so elevate aviation was born it started as a calendar to help fundraise for the mount kilimanjaro trip 
And it ended up now being a national organization that's all across Canada, helping people with mentorship and bursaries and the learning centers, um, memberships, masterclass. Um, there's so many things. Our cross-country tour, our cross-country tour now goes to 20 locations across Canada, including Yellowknife, Whitehorse, Iqaluit, Gander, Goose Bay, Vancouver, and all the places in between. It's just growing and growing and growing. It's incredible what happens when you start believing in yourself. So one day I was reading a book. This was years ago and I was reading this book and it was, it was talking about this voice inside your head. And I said to my now wonderful partner, Corey, I said, man, do you have this voice inside your head? And he says, what? <laughs> and I said, do you have this voice inside your head? And he said, Oh, he thought about it for me. He goes, yeah, I do. I said, let's name them. He's like, what? Okay, but he knows me well enough now to know I'm a little weird sometimes, so let's name them. So he thought about it for a little bit, and he hummed, ha, and he's thinking about it, and finally he says, Grant. And I said, Grant? Why Grant? And he said, because, especially when I'm alone at night, it rants at me. It'll rant and it'll rant and it'll rant. And it won't leave me alone. So I'm going to name it Grant. And I said, okay. He said, what are you going to name yours? Well, without missing a, be a beat, I don't know where it came from, I said, Pillsbury Dough Bitch. I'm like, what? Where did that come from? Well, I know she's always calling me fat. She's always so mean to me. She, she, my whole life has led me wrong. I can... I can I can understand now why I ran away and why all, everything, that, everything that went wrong in my life was basically really connected to that Pillsbury Dobich inside my head. So Pillsbury Dobich it is. But what I've learned is when I can make that Pillsbury Dobich as teeny tiny as maybe you imagine the little pilots when I said earlier, there's little teeny tiny pilots and these little dots. If you make that voice tiny, 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 it just creates this room to, to dream and grow and build and, and inspire and do whatever you want in life. All of a sudden, there's just this amazing space that's just there for you to fill with whatever you want that's full of goodness instead of just negative stuff all the time. And so, as I said, Elevate Aviation was born out of all that. But today, I just wanted to leave you with five examples, not just mine, of Pillsbury Dobich. So mine, Pillsbury Dobich, give it a name. That's the advice I want to leave you with. Give that voice a name. Make it small. But I wanted to share about some other people. So through Elevate Aviation, I've met incredible women. Incredible women. And this one here, we could think of one name for her, one word for her. We call her badass. Um, her name's Alexia Hannum. So Alexia Hannum is um, commanding officer of the 417 Helicopter Squadron. She's been to Afghanistan. She's been on over 40 missions. I've asked her, Alexia, do you have this voice inside your head? Alexia says, well, I do, but I ignore it. I'm like, okay, it could be healthy, could be not healthy. You know, it depends. Um, but she gave me an example of what she does. Alexia when she was in Afghanistan, she was flying the Chinook helicopters. That's the big helicopter with the two propellers on it. You guys can imagine that, those great big helicopters. That's what she was flying. Well, she flew it right into the ground. Uh, she got into an accident. 
Now, there are a lot of conditions about why she got into this accident, but one was a slight pilot error where she veered off to the right too much. She ended up landing, and the helicopter turned over. Nobody died, but people did get injured. Alexia is a very proud woman, and she was embarrassed about this, and she went on to tell me that she didn't want, she, she hid in her room, she did not want anyone to see her, she didn't want to talk to anybody, and she had that voice inside her head telling her, you know, she wasn't a good pilot, she, lots of things. But what did she do? She faced her fears. And she went out, and she, uh, in this example, she actually went out and started to make a little music video. So she'd have to get in front of everyone's face and ask them to do this music video. And she made this incredible music video. I don't know if you can find it on YouTube, but she made this incredible music video of all of the military members over there in Afghanistan. But she forced that voice to stop by facing her fears and running towards doing something. The next person I wanted to say uh, is Joanna Now. Now, Joanna, I met her when we did a webinar for Black Lives Matter. And I thought she was the most incredible young woman. So Joanna is a flight instructor out in Ontario, but she was born in Zimbabwe. When she was in Zimbabwe, she wanted to be a pilot. This is her lifelong dream to be a pilot. But she said, oddly enough, in Zimbabwe at that time, uh, she was facing racism and they didn't want black women to be pilots over there because mainly the pilot schools were owned by white men. And they did not want black women to be pilots. And so she had, you can kind of imagine the inner struggle that she's got to go through with all this. She ends up moving to Canada and becoming a pilot. But through this journey, she's had to kind of, you know, talk to herself in her head to keep her own motivation going and stop other people's criticisms from entering in her own head and being her. So what she does is she generates a superhero in the form of her grandmother, she said any time that voice is inside her head that's starting to attack her, she visualizes her grandmother, who is just a powerhouse of her time. And she gave me many examples of why her grandmother was such a powerhouse, and she really is. I won't go into them now. But this is what she does. She gets a, if she has that voice inside her head, she visualizes a superwoman in the form of her grandmother. The next one, Melissa Haney. Melissa Haney is a very good friend of mine, and Melissa is the most serene, quiet, strong women you'll ever know. When she talks about aviation, well, when she talks in general, she can lull you to sleep. Her voice is just musical. So I asked Melissa, do you have this voice inside your head? Of course, she said. What she does, she said, is she gave me an example. She said, if she's on an approach, so she flies for Aero Inuit, so she'll land up north. If she's on an approach... And it's like the train is really rough and it's really windy and she's actually starting to get nervous. She activates her inner Beyonce. And she said she'll actually imagine, and this is Melissa, like you just can't, you, this is just so different from Melissa. She imagines her pilot suit all full of bedazzles and she has this killer landing and she walks into the back of the airplane and they're all giving her a standing ovation and clapping for her for her landing. So she said whenever she gets filled with doubt, she activates her inner Beyonce. The next one, Tira Frazier. Tira Frazier, if you Google her, you will see she was the first Indigenous woman to own an airline. Um, she, uh, I talked to her, she is, she's just the most wonderful woman. And I asked her about the voice inside her head, and she said, I give it gratitude. She said, when I hear that voice, I stop. I say, thank you very much. Thank you for being here today, but I don't need you today. 
Thanks for trying to look after me, but I don't need you today. Tara doesn't have to generate a superhero because she is a superhero. She is uh, actually right now featured as one of the 18 women for DC Comics for um, the wonderful women of history. Next and final, Sarah Dillard. Now, Sarah told me this incredible story. Sarah was a pilot in the military, and she was at an air show. And she's at the air show enjoying airplanes flying around, and the snowbirds go by. And the announcer starts announcing the names of the, the snowbirds, and one of them was a woman. And Sarah went, what? You, I can be a snowbird pilot? Like, this is a strong woman who's a pilot, but it took hearing that there was an actual female in the snowbird for her to go, oh, wait a minute, I can be a snowbird pilot. And so she became a snowbird pilot. But she went on to tell me when she first wanted to become a pilot in the military, she had that voice. Like, like I'm not gonna, am I going to be a pilot? Will they pick me? Will they pick me? What she does is she interacts with her father. Oh, sorry, she summons her father. Her father's voice for her was what she actually uses when she gets that voice inside her head. He was just this supportive man. And so she just always remembers him telling her, you can do it. You can do it. So lots of examples here about what different people do to control that voice in their head. And I, I hope that you all can um, use one of them to your advantage. So in closing, I like to think of air traffic controllers as guardians of the sky, the custodians of journey and dreams. In Edmonton Terminal, sometimes we get F-18 jets that fly in. They'll do an approach and then they'll do an overshoot. And traffic permitting, we'll tell the airplane on the misapproach that they can have an unrestricted climb. Those aircraft will go so fast on an unrestricted climb that they'll actually disappear off our radar screen. And so that's what I hope for all of you. I hope that you all can be so unrestricted from that voice inside your head that you'll soar. Remember, aircraft take off into a headwind, and so can you. That's it for me. Thank you all very, very much. Thank you. Thanks. You can learn more about Bluetox at Bluetox.com and you can learn more about Kendra Kincaid at elevateaviation.ca. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.